Hey, my name is Akash Thakar, and this is Sound Business. This is the podcast where we dive into the mindsets and methods of some of the top musicians, sound designers, or audio creators in the world. We're going to interview everyone from plug-in makers, performing musicians, video game composers, and everything in between, and learn how they run a successful business and how they're making a killer living in the worlds of music and sound. My hope with this podcast is that you can be exposed to the many myriad different ways there are to make a killer living in the worlds of music and sound, and help you realize that there's no one right way to get to the top. And with that, let's get into the episode. My guest today is Nicholas Gasparini, also known as Mew. Nicholas is a longtime pianist and composer who's been uploading dark piano horror music since 2006 and has built a huge following in that time with over 300,000 monthly listeners on Spotify and another 300k subscribers on YouTube. He's also worked on short films and video games and is currently working on the upcoming horror game Post Trauma. In this episode, we talk about finding your niche as a composer and how important it is to really dive deep into your interests, how Nicholas even got started writing horror music in the first place, why he releases all of his music for free, and what up-and-coming composers can do to help them stand out in a crowded field, and so much more. So without further ado, let's get into the interview with Nicholas Gasparini, aka Mew. So the first question I have for you is talking about niches. Because you have this extremely, extremely specific niche of dark piano and people love you for it. You're like the person for it and you are known in this space. But a lot of composers, musicians think, oh, if I just do one thing, if I'm known for one thing, then there's no way I can make a living. There's no way I could have a career. But what do you kind of say to that? Yeah, that's actually the great misconception for up and coming composers because you think like, oh, I, I miss opportunities. If I can't make everything, you know, there could be some opportunity right there and I need to be ready for that. But I don't think that's the wrong way actually to, to think about it. But I feel these uh, composers, they are thinking that they need to do that. But there was many years ago, a German podcast also about audio people and stuff. And there was one specific thing that really stood out to me. It was like, you remember the first person that was on the moon that was like the moon person. Yeah, you maybe even remember the second one. But then afterwards, it, it's getting kind of okay. We, we already have like, like a moon person. <laughs> that, that's the thing. You, you need to be specific uh, in your kind of craft uh, so that people remember you. That's an example of what, what, why people approach me. They're like, okay, I need this dark emotional piano. I, I'm writing a psychological horror game right now. I actually need this specific thing. And th that's actually what really keeps people remembering you if you have this kind of niche. And it's also what I learned uh, through your podcasts as well. You keep pitching this all the time, and it's true. Okay, that feels really nice to hear. But there's a there's also a part of this where people think, oh, okay, I find my niche, and then the next day, everything's fine. But you've been uploading videos, songs for so long. If you go back in your YouTube catalog, it's been over 10 years. It's crazy. So I want to hear about that kind of buildup because I'm sure it wasn't, oh, I'll make one dark piano track and then hopefully it hits and everything will be fine. So what was your mindset during that time? I started very early on uploading music on on YouTube. It, actually, my channel is from 2006. 
back then there was no making money or like and dislike. We actually had like a five star system. There was stars. <laughs> it's been a long time. And there was still this title underneath YouTube. It's called Broadcast Yourself. So it was just like, I, I put something out on the internet. Something. I, what I just like. And I was in this weird mind when I was like 16 or 17. I already had like 10 years of taking piano lessons and it was very classical. And then I got like 15, 14 and I was like, oh, that's not cool. I, I don't like it. I want to do something different and took a break of the classical piano and was looking what I really like playing. And it was video games. I want to play video game music on piano. And back then, two, 2006 to 2005, there was almost no real proper piano sheets for some of the popular games. It was really hard. And then I was like, why I can't find anything for that? Oh God, I need to make this by ear. And I never have done that before as a classical musician. I always play like, like with notes. <laughs> and... There was one specific game that really stood out to me for the music, and it was Silent Hill 2. And I haven't found any sheet music for that, so I had to do it by myself. Promise, that was the first track that I covered from Silent Hill. This music from Silent Hill was discovered, like, maybe 10 years later from uh, a YouTuber who was narrating horror stories for the internet. And it's like, the modern way of you get together at a campfire and telling creepy horror stories. And they are called Creepypasta, those uh, horror stories on the internet. And he also liked the Silent Hill music. Even though he wasn't allowed to, he just used my piano covers in his video <laughs> and as a background music in his videos. And I discovered that very accidentally. I was like, oh, interesting that I'm in another guy's video and I actually like what he's doing. And I approached him and was like, hey, I, I like what you're doing. Do, do you need more music? You, you won't, it won't go that easy for you forever <laughs> using covers in your YouTube videos. You, you could get into trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, oh, oh all right. And, and thank you for approaching me. And I really like that offer from you if you want to compose original music. And that's what I've done. I uploaded original music on my YouTube channel, Creepy Piano Music. And he kept using it, and suddenly he blew up. He blew up with his horror stories. And it became like a like a new trend, the horror stories on YouTube. Many other people followed and was obviously a fan of this guy. He's called Mr. Creepypasta. And many other narrators followed with him. And they always look like, let's see what music he has used. And I was like, this new guy, me. <laughs> <laughs> so these people who followed Mr. Creepypasta also used my music, et cetera, et cetera. And because they were able to use my music for free, as long as they credit me, uh, it actually helped me a lot in my career to, to get known and get more popular, even though that was never my plan to do that. And be only the guy who makes horror music. <laughs> I actually like way more music than just horror, even though I have a love for horror. It was never planned. And after that, there, there were also other people who, who started using my music for other stuff like true crime, horror YouTube channels, and like if people go on an adventure to abandoned buildings, 
They were searching for free-to-use music. There was a time where there was no many libraries on the internet that you could use. And so that was probably my luck for that, <laughs> that there was not many music that you could use on the internet back then. Nowadays, people come in my comment section and tell me like, okay, I think that the Mew guy is like the Kevin McLeod of horror music. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. I don't know if that's true, but I feel very flattered. I mean, you're definitely ultra well-known in that space. And I want to hear more about this idea of kind of having your music out there for free so that people can use it. Obviously, they credit you, but beyond that, they can use it. Can you talk to that mindset? Were you in that space yet where you were thinking, I got to find out how to make a living off of this? Or was it still that building phase of you're just doing what you liked? That's the thing where I'm in a really lucky position because there were a lot of people who checked out my music and actually listen also on my music on YouTube and Spotify, Apple Music. I actually do make a living because the people are listening to my music. They actively listen to my music. So I'm fine that people use my music for free because it's way more valuable for the people who can use it that they are able to use the music. I'm curious then, because a lot of people, when they are starting off as you know composers, things like that, they go to a major label, they give up some of the rights, they don't own their music. So streaming income isn't very high because it's all split up. But when you own a chunk of your music, obviously you own all your original stuff, the income's higher from streaming. So did you kind of think of things this way? Did you approach it with the idea of, oh, I want to own all the music that I'm creating. I'm not going to sign to a label. I'm not going to go through distributors, that sort of stuff. Absolutely, absolutely. I actually had in my early career, I got approached by a label actually, but the deal was really bad. It was just bad. I was already distributing my music back then, so I knew what I can get and what I'm worth it. When I approached them uh, to like, okay, but I need this percent, not just this percent. They were like, okay, we, we, we give you 50% of your revenue. I'm like, no way. <laughs> no, I need more. And they were like, oh, we only give more for our more popular and mainstream people. I'm sorry. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm sorry too. <laughs> <laughs> That's also a big misconception for many people who, who just starting out. Okay, I need a label. I need a manager. I do everything on my own. I don't have anyone behind me that's doing anything. And that's actually the great thing about the internet today. It's the best way, actually, the best time right now to be an independent musician and composer. Yeah, I would agree with that. And when it comes to building this up, I think a lot of composers who are getting started now might think, oh, it's too late, though. Like, everyone who's established is established. They're already on YouTube. You know, Muse been out there since 2006. He has 300,000 subscribers. What can I do? What can I possibly do? So what do you tell them that first step is when it comes to putting out music? Do they just release it and hope someone listens? Or what should they think about? First off, be yourself. Be yourself. Don't follow anyone else's uh, path. Don't do that. Of course, if you start out, you should take inspiration of your heroes and that's totally fine but you should be yourself and just being yourself could be your most successful story and there's always something new in there just you are the guy 
who uses automaton in every composition. <laughs> Somewhere. You're the automaton guy. But I, I think actually this is also already done. But something. Just there, there's always a way. Or I don't know. You only use cat sounds in your music. <laughs> so I'm curious about releasing music and how that process has changed for you. Because I'm sure when you first started, you're just putting music up on YouTube and that was it. And how has that changed over time? Do you promote tracks? Do you think of them certain ways? Do you make special thumbnails? Like, do you have an approach to releasing so that people know? Or is it still pretty organic when people find you? Fortunately to me, it's still pretty organic, but I also see a decline here and there and then an increase here and there. And that's what you also have to keep in mind if, if you're an independent musician. It always changes the platform every few years. Back then, it was for me mainly YouTube that was my main revenue. Today, it's Spotify, my main revenue. For other people, the main revenue is TikTok or Instagram. So for me, that's the interesting part. I tried a few times to make thumbnails that are more like catchy and uh, be in your face or be something interesting. I think my people who follow me don't care about that, actually. They they even tell me if I release a vocal track, nah, please give me the instrumental. I just want to hear the instrumental. <laughs> and that makes me always sad if I collaborate with a singer, <laughs> even though they do a great job. But what really helps at the moment in this time in 2023, I think it's really important to be on Instagram and also be available everywhere that people can use your music. For example, Instagram stories, sharing them, make it available. That's the most important part. Make your music available. Don't just release it on YouTube or be someone who's very protective about his music. I, I understand if you want to be protective about your music, and that's very important too. But try to be more open-minded that, that people can use your music and make it available on as many platforms as possible because it doesn't hurt to be on every platform. There's something I noticed when I did a deep dive on your YouTube channel as well, which was some tracks that are even 10 years old have comments from just like a month ago, even though they're 10 years old. People are still listening to these old tracks. So do you ever re-release old tracks? Do you re-record them? Do you kind of leave them? And I'm sure you've noticed, but do you feel that these kind of tracks that you build over time, they become this portfolio, like this permanent business card almost that people might stumble on as opposed to being a flash in the pan that just disappears right away? I really do agree. If you follow trends, you maybe have like a high at this right moment, but maybe in a month or so, people don't care about that trend anymore. And to me, it's more important to have like something that keeps being relevant. Maybe it's not as cool. Maybe it's not as hype. But making art that keeps being relevant is the key to success, actually, to me as well. I don't think I'm really like a trendy person or something like this. <laughs> but I also followed some trends when I started and it helped me a little bit but I also realized the trend falls off and it doesn't help me in the long run so I'm fine if I get a few thousand clicks on my video rather than a few hundred thousands in the month but then never again 
So I really like the slow build. The slow build is way better rather than being there for the moment. And yes, I, I re-record actually some classics here and there. For example, because I'm doing this for over 10 years, there's even now some classics I re-recorded and uploaded and people really do like that. And it's something that I want to give back to the people who have been following for so long. And it's great to re-record, but it's also every single time when I re-record a song, make a 10 anniversary song, there's a high pressure. I actually don't like re-recording because people like the original. And if you touch that, that's something really saint. And so it must have something additional value to it. You mentioned earlier that you are interested in more than, you know, horror, of course. Most composers are interested in more than just one genre. And I'm curious how you kind of reconcile that with the fact that you're making mostly horror music. Do you ever get bored? Do you make music on your own? How do you kind of stay interested in this niche now that you're very established in it? Wow, that's a very good question. <laughs> <laughs> it also helps, like, if you do this one thing, you feel a little bit more confident about. If I try something else, I feel less confident and I fiddle too much around and overthink it. If I know my, my space, I get results way quicker than being somewhere else. And I just do something else in my free time. I don't make any other music in my free time, no other genre music, but I do enjoy other things like one of my latest hobbies is smart home. I just like <laughs> doing weird automations in my apartment or yeah, just playing other games. I just, I don't only play horror games. I also play other games like, like the Yakuza series, <laughs> for example. Yes, or yes. Metal Gear is, is one of my main favorites. Yeah, you <laughs> <So> too. <laughs> oh, hardcore. <laughs> that, that's actually how I balance myself. Also watching other stuff for it not just horror, horror films. Mm. Yeah, that, that mainly helps me that I just do something else in my free time. But making horror music can be... There's so much to do. It's not just, okay, I play a dissonant chord or something like that, and that's <laughs> it. There's so much flexibility, and the horror genre is so huge. For example, last year I... Um, made a soundtrack for a mobile game that's called Phobies. And it's all about phobias and stuff, but it's a fun game. It has this horror theme to it, but it is all about fun and having all these phobias and stuff. The phobias are monsters that you can collect with cards. And the game is all about fun. So it has like this interesting horror feeling, but it still is fun. Like, for example, if you listen to Danny Elfman's music, it's horror, but it's also very, like, funny, jumpy. And in other occasions, for example, two weeks ago, I scored a horror short film. Th this was just, like, ambient sounds and booms. It's totally different. And that keeps making it interesting. Just doing something else inside your genre. And now you're composing on a game called Post Trauma. So I want to hear about, first, how you even got that gig. Did they approach you through finding you on YouTube, all that stuff? And now, how you're approaching writing the music, if it is different at all from how you've written music before? Yeah. The game started two years ago as a demo on itch.io. And I've heard people talking about it because bigger streamers on Twitch played it and YouTubers making videos about it. 
Suddenly I saw in the comments of my YouTube channel that people mentioned that there's my music in that demo. And I was like, what? <laughs> I looked it up and realized that indeed one of my royalty-free piano songs is the end credits track for that demo. Well, and since I loved everything what I saw about post-trauma so far, and me being a big fan of the survival horror genre, especially the classic titles, it was a no-brainer for me to look up the developer behind it, Roberto Serra. I found him on Twitter and thanked him for the inclusion of my music in his demo, and we've talked a little bit and I told him if he ever makes a full game out of this, I'm very down to compose the soundtrack for his game. Since this was still a one-man project without any funding during that time, Roberto was looking for a publisher and if he finds one, he might come back to me. Many months came by and there was radio silence about the game. Suddenly, during none other than the Game Awards last year, there was a reveal trailer that post-drama is now indeed in development and supported by the publisher Raw Fury. This announcement took many by surprise, including me, but seriously, I was so happy to see how far he got with the game and that he actually found a publisher for it. So I congratulated him on Twitter and also wrote him a DM if he needs anything music related, he can reach out to me, but that I'm very happy nonetheless that his game now becomes reality. And even if you wouldn't pick me, I was still happy about his success and how far he has come and be excited to play it one day. So he told me the plans about the music, that it's still very early and they still need to figure out everything. But after another four, five-ish months, he got back to me and this is where we are now and I'm writing the music for that game. So if I had not my existing free-to-use library tracks, there probably wouldn't be this gig at my table now. And this is not the first time getting a gig for a game because of my existing music. Almost all of the developers were searching for a specific kind of music through Google or YouTube and discovered my very specific horror music. So what I really can recommend to any composer out there, create a library of free-to-use music. Upload it where it is very good available, like YouTube, your website, anything, and make it with a very specific genre in mind. Put it out there, do a little bit of research about basic search engine optimization, like giving your tracks very clear names and tag them with clear search terms in mind, like think from the perspective of the end user, be it an avid music listener or a developer, what would they put in the search field and calculate that in the decision of how you craft the title of your tracks. So are you approaching the music differently? Are you writing it differently? Is this, are there like new fields where you're like, I don't know what I'm doing or is it all smooth? If I write music for a project, it's always a different approach versus when I write music for myself. If I write for myself, there's a specific motivation and inspiration behind it, like something that happened in my life or another art that inspired me. And... Basically, I can do what I want to do. 
When it comes to commissioned work, like for a game like Post Trauma, the developer already has a certain expectation or even vision behind what they want. Usually they already approached you because they like your style and just want something similar for their project. Maybe you need to adjust your work a bit to their liking, but in most cases not too much. But be ready for deadlines and revisions. And if they want something completely out of your comfort zone, you need to reconsider if it's worth it. Like, is it a good and fitting challenge to grow in your existing abilities? Then go for it. Or do they want something from you that doesn't feel like brings you joy or feels fitting in the long run? That's why it's important to ask them questions in the beginning. What words would they use to describe the music they need? Or let them send you reference tracks from other games or artists. Maybe even reference tracks from your past work. And then listen to your heart and ask yourself, is this the right project for me? If yes, hell yeah, go for it. If it feels wrong, reconsider. Even if it means losing a gig. Saying no is hard, yes, especially during the beginning of your career. But if you feel like the person wants something from you that is so far from what you usually like doing, make sure you are really feeling it or not. I had some potential clients that I said no to because they wanted bright, happy music for the whole project from me, so I said no to them. Fortunately, in this case, uh, for post-trauma, it was the former. Roberto knew my work, but he also wanted to take it a step further with something I haven't done much yet, which felt like an exciting challenge and like an extension to my other abilities. At the time of this interview, we haven't revealed much of the music yet, and I don't want to spoil too much. But the basic idea behind post-Trauma's music is we combine nostalgic sounds with modern twists and me, someone who started with piano and orchestral music, began to learn how to use synthesized sounds just for this. A very, very exciting project. So I'm curious about imposter syndrome. If you, one, you still feel it at all because you've written music for so long in this niche, Maybe you don't feel it anymore. Maybe you're cured of it. Or maybe it still comes up sometimes and you think, ah, I don't know what I'm doing. Does that still come up for you? And when does it come up? It actually comes up more than ever now in a way like, okay, I've written so much music already. What should I write next? Mm. I feel like my box of tricks is empty now. <laughs> and I have done so many chord progressions and variations already. <laughs> I, I just wish repeat myself now. That's my thoughts, what I have sometimes. And I try just to put them aside and still just doing my thing. But that's actually a real challenge and why I understand when artists change their style maybe in 10 or 20 years and do something completely different because they need to do that. Otherwise, they feel like they, they are just repeating themselves and already told everything in their style they have done before. It's sometimes hard, but I just try to put it aside and just do my thing. And even though I have used this specific corporate creation 
over and over again, uh, I'm like, ah, it doesn't matter. People know then that's a mute track and that's fine. <laughs> now, when you are kind of in this state where it's like, okay, I'm afraid of repeating myself or you've written so much music. Is there something now that you're focused on learning musically that maybe you weren't used to before? Maybe it is like synthesizers, maybe it's something else? Actually, what helps me a lot is just listening to music. Listen to music. That's actually what inspires me the most. And I actually also do what I can really recommend. I uh, have like a huge Spotify collection of playlists that are sorted by genre or mood. And if I ever have like a commission or something I want to write, I go back to these playlists and look, okay, I want to write a crime track today. I go to the crime mood and listen to the music I have in my crime playlist. And this really inspires me. And I can really, really recommend doing that. If you listen to music and you're like, okay, this is a great track. I, I save that to a specific playlist with a specific keyword. And this really helps me a lot to get back into the mindset, to get back into the mood where I need to be. That makes sense. And nowadays, considering you're in this, you know, really established state, are there things you're curious about taking your career to? Maybe you want to do more games, more film, something else entirely. Are there things you're thinking about now? Yeah, actually, right now, I want to dive even deeper into the video game composition, because uh, I was thinking actually this year where I want to go. And then I just did the right thing and listened to my heart. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a gamer at heart. And I just love playing video games. And video games were also the thing that sparkled my creativity and what I wanted to do, what I said earlier about Silent Hill 2, that I realized, okay, I want to play something like this. This is actually what I want to do more and be more present and also doing more and being more present in it. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And are you, are you making steps to that? Are you kind of figuring that out still? What kind of state are you in right now with that? Yeah, right now I, I'm composing the music uh, for that game and yeah, what, what's the next step? That's also the, what, what many musician friends also tell me, oh, I'm, I'm afraid what's next and what's in the future. I don't know what, what will be next. I see it a little bit more chill good things will just happen. If I just go with the flow and try to avoid being afraid about the future and just keep being positive about it and doing the thing right now and see what's coming next afterwards. Now, there's one question I ask everyone who comes on the show as we start to wrap up, and I think you might know what it is, but it is basically when you first started off in your career, it could be when you first started classical piano lessons or when you took that break to start learning things by ear, whatever starting point you want to pick, how did you define success and how has that changed over time? And what is that definition of success now? Okay, but back then, my definition of success was, oh, I, I want to be on a big stage and playing my music there in front of many people. Nowadays, when I grew older, I I'm like, I want to do what I love. I want to do what I love and having my own space and just doing my own thing. That just makes me happy to be able to do my music and that people listen to it. I do it doesn't need to be the big stage. It doesn't need to be a triple A game. I'm just happy if I can do what I love. That's awesome. 
And last question, where can people find you? Feel free to plug social media, websites, all that good stuff. You can find me almost everywhere, I think. On YouTube, you just put in Mew, M-Y-U-U. Spotify, Mew. On Google, you can type Nicholas Gasparini. You find my website, that's didarkpiano.com. Apple Music, Twitter, X. <laughs> <laughs> Instagram, it's music, M-Y-U-U-S-I-C, pretty much everywhere. Awesome. Thanks so much for taking the time. This was a really, really great interview. <laughs> Thank you so much, Akash. That's the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening, as always. And considering I work in the world of video game, music, and sound, and so many people are always asking me how they break into that field, I have a newsletter set up for you. So if you want to learn how to make music and sound effects for video games and actually be paid to do it, just go to bit.ly forward slash soundbizpod sound biz pod and that newsletter will set you up with two free courses and a bunch of free ebooks and even sound effects they'll get you set up and teach you how to work in the world of video game music and sound thanks so much and i'll see you next time and if you're looking for more audio related podcasts to listen to this podcast is actually a part of the audio podcast alliance featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound so if you want to check those out, hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.